1: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a Black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And thank you all so much for joining us today. And before we get into this wonderful conversation, I want to remind you that the PTM live tour is in full swing and we will be live in New York City, the Big Apple on Friday, June 1st. It is quickly approaching. Do not miss it. It's going to be a wonderful time. You can get all the details for the NYC show and all the other scheduled PTM tour dates over at PassTheMicLive.com. We hope to see you all there. So our conversation today is special. A little while ago, I had the opportunity to interview writer and speaker Austin Channing Brown, and I'm so glad to finally get this out I've been ready to release this since the second we ended our recording. And Austin just released a book entitled, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And it has been tearing up the charts on Amazon and receiving rave reviews. So I hope you go and pick that up either on Amazon or at your local bookstore because you should support Black women. You know how we do around here. Don't delay. You can go over to austinchanning.com to get more information about the book and her work. And I'll say this, I've had the privilege of interviewing a number of people, many of whom are personal heroes, but this is one of the most refreshing conversations I've ever had on the mic. The laughs that you hear are genuine, the honesty is raw, and Austin has this palpable joy that beams through everything she says here on this pod and on others that I've heard her in. It was an honor to read her work and an even greater honor to have this conversation with Austin Channing Brown here on Pass the Mic. I hope you enjoy it. Austin, thank you so much for coming on past
0: the mic. I'm so glad to be here.
1: Now, your book is I'm Still Here: Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And so I open up the book and the first thing I read is white people are exhausted. I said, "Wow." <laughs> wow, no punches pulled whatsoever. <laughs> I was like, okay, so this is what we're doing. I was
0: this, like, okay. Yeah, this
1: is what we're doing. <laughs> I, was, I was, I'm just going to admit you, I wasn't ready. I skipped over the table of contents. So I, normally I go through the table of contents. I get a feel for what's going I'll on. See. But I skipped over it and I was like, wow. So I kind of ruined it for everyone <laughs> else. Hopefully they still, it still has the same effect for them. But in reality, you know, a lot of people can resonate with what you're saying. And you talk about, some initial reasons why you were exhausted as a young girl, right how much has that exhaustion grown over the past few years?
0: yeah, you know in some ways, it's an ongoing exhaustion. I think in my younger years, it was hard because I hadn't quite embraced my name, so having mm-hmm. having the name Austin, and for stupid reasons, right <laughs> like, right like right. being of the generation that um had keychains. With our names on them, right, and the keychains were always blue for Austin. You know, <laughs> and I wanted a pink one. That makes sense, though. I mean, that's a legitimate beef. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? And so, um, but the the more that I have learned to embody my own name, the more it doesn't phase me. But it can still be exhausting to walk into a room and have everyone expect you to be a white man. Um, and to see the reaction, I think that's, what's hard. I I think it makes sense, you know, that, you know, if I had any other boy's name, the same thing would happen. Right. (laughs) It would be Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? Um, but I, I think it's the, it's the second guessing it's the, Hmm. like, what, what if we had known, if we had known this was a black woman, (laughs) Yeah, right? Like it's, it's that, it's that, it's that two seconds where people are reassessing me. That's awkward.
1: It was just fascinating in the book to think about the ways in which you're facing just another layer. Uh, You're Black, you're a woman, and now you have this name (laughs) that people... And you you talked about how the librarian was like, is this your card? Is this really you? Are you sure this is you? And just to think about that, I mean, how was that for your identity? And in a weird way, did it train you to become used to being ostracized?
0: In some ways, it did. Um, I, I have definitely learned to prepare myself for that reaction. Uh, but, but I will say this, and I don't think I, I talked about this too much in the book that at the same time that my mother told me, you know, that she named me Austin so that people would assume that I was a white male. And that same sentence she said to me, Now we know that once you get to the interview, for anything, we know you'll excel. We know you'll Hmm, be amazing. You'll blow the doors off the place. We just had to get you to the interview. Wow. And so Hmm. in that, she made it clear that it wasn't about me, right, it wasn't a failing on my part. It was a failing on society's part. But I did then have this thing where like, once I got to the interview, I had to figure out how to nail it, right?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Of course. But having that confidence, you know, having them express confidence in you like that is really powerful.
0: And I feel like that is a thing that black parents have to do. Right. In the same sentence Mm -hmm. that we're like, here's what society is going to be like for you. It's also but I know you can achieve and I know you can do this and you are so smart and you are so intelligent and you're so funny and you're you know, you're so all these things. Um, and so I feel hmm. like my parents were really just doing maybe slightly extreme by giving me a white male name, <laughs> but really still at the heart, just doing what most black parents have to do in this country.
1: Yeah. And I resonated with this so much because my name and, you know, I don't know if I've even said this on the podcast, but my first name is Gregory. I'm named after my father. I see. Um, And so his, you know, everyone calls him Greg, but. Um, you know, when I got the name Gregory and then my, my middle name is Tyler, uh, as a young kid, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be going up into the playground with people calling me Gregory. <laughs> like, there's just no way <laughs> Tyler isn't that much better, but Gregory.
0: definitely. It was just not. too much. Just, I hear you. It was just too much. And so
1: my <laughs> brother, who's about nine years younger than me, uh, his name is Wellington and when they were coming up with the names i just stopped them and i said hold up <laughs> why are y'all giving us these names because right. i'm just going around my black friends and they don't have these right. names and why right. listen? and they're like well we we want you to they said something to the to the effect of we want you to have a certain type of name a, a dignified name mm-hmm. so that you when you step into the room people know what to expect
0: i see and i was like
1: man. But still, like, that's not a cool name. I don't have any cool <laughs> nicknames, none of that. <laughs> right. but
0: like, that explanation is not helpful for me right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just, but I couldn't see that they were compensating literally right. for a world made for whiteness. Right. And when right. I read that, it really all came together for me personally, because I said, wow, this is, I understand now in some strange way what they were attempting to do. Right. And what they were attempting to push forward, and so it's, it's your book really has this interesting way of bringing out some of these themes that have kind of been hidden for a while. Mm-hmm. Dialogues that maybe would have been had in black homes mm-hmm. or in uh, black centric circles, but not in the public, not in the masses. Right? Is there any is there any comfort in that that now we're having these conversations wide open for everyone to hear and see, or is that maybe? A a double-edged sword.
0: I think it's definitely a double-edged sword. I feel really um, proud of this book. Um, But I, to be truthful, the thing that I kept saying to my publisher and my editors is that if white people all go out and buy this book, but it doesn't resonate at all with black folks, then I have failed. Wow. Hmm. Um, and so my, my, though I certainly hope it will be helpful for white folks and it'll open up some dialogue, open up some conversations. My, my true desire was to say to folks like us who are in dominant white spaces on a regular basis, you're not losing your mind. Hmm. What you think is happening is happening. (laughs) Your experience (laughs) is real and it is shared, you know, because, Um, because we can often be just one of like two or three or five people who are having the same experience among hundreds of others who are having an entirely different experience. And Mm. so I really just wanted to say to us, um, the way you perceive reality is true Hmm. and you don't have to wait for white folks to validate what you are experiencing, let me try to give language to this. Let me try and paint a picture. Let me try and tell you my stories so that you now have the language to be able to express that to whom you want.
1: You know, you're actually the second Black woman who said I've heard say that recently. Hmm. Um, One of the friends of our, uh, of our show, Michelle Higgins, yes. I was listening to a podcast that she was on. Michelle is amazing, I by the way. And I was listening her. to a podcast that she was on. And she talked about how she crafted her speech at Urbana for Black people. It was for Black folks. And so hearing her talk on the Kaleidoscope podcast about that, I was just like, wow, this is just really fascinating. Um, And then to hear you say that, and then now we're kind of in this place of transitioning from more of a white-centered space to really calling ourselves a Black Christian collective, really only blackness like what that means yes. um, is is that something that you feel is a movement that can penetrate
0: mm-hmm. the
1: mainstream of evangelical mm-hmm. american church mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. or is mm-hmm. that something that is constantly just going to be on the margin so to speak or the prophetic um yeah. is that what, is that what's going to be where do you see that falling in line with the american Oh,
0: wow, that's a good question um so, I want to be very careful here. Sure, I yeah, think. no, no. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is just coming up for you. Yeah. You just had such a good answer. So now I'm just kind of like, hmm, like, that, that where, where can we go with this? That's such a
0: good question. So, I think, I think the Black church has always been a part of changing systems of injustice. Mm-hmm. Front lines, in the center, um, yes. that prophetic voice. Um, bodies on the line, um, books that have lasted generations. Um, and so hmm. I, I believe that we will continue to push America in particular, um, only because that's my only context, <laughs> right, right. Um, toward what could be but Mm. i don't want to put blackness in the situation where we are christ right where we are the martyred the murdered Mm. um in order to save white folks from themselves you know what i'm saying so i want to walk a a fine line here (laughs) and say that who we are naturally our understanding of freedom our understanding of love and grace and mercy our understanding of family Will naturally change the world. Ha- always has, hmm. always will. Um, but whether or not um, whiteness will be overcome by anything other than Jesus coming back, come on, that that's it. that remains to be yeah. seen.
1: <laughs> right, right, and that that's so. That's such a good balance, I think, because I think many times people step into majority culture spaces. And they step into those spaces ex- and people expect them to fix an issue yes. or fix a problem. And you talk about this in the book, you know, with the whole idea of relational defense, yes. right? So, this idea that you step into a place and at the moment, I'll actually read just a, a section yeah, of this uh, from the book. You said, when this narrative of goodness is disrupted by the unplanned utterance of racial slurs, jokes, rants, or their kind, Whiteness has perfected another tool for defending its innocence. I call it the relational defense. It happens in the media all the time. A government official, teacher, pastor, or principal is caught on tape saying something that is clearly racist, but rather than confess and seek transformation, the person defends their goodness by appealing to the relationships of those who know them. I love that you just put language that's so vivid and that's so true And I think sometimes there's an expectation on black people to come in and correct without addressing the relational defense, right? So it's how do you how do you balance these realities, even if you are still in a white-centered space, without being the martyr, without being the doormat that everyone
0: walks? Oh, it's so hard. (laughs) Yes. It's so hard. And I hope, I hope that one thing that I've done in the book is one laid out my journey between being the super vocal one and being pretty silent Mm -hmm. and then being vocal again, and then being afraid. And then write the difference between realizing who I could be in school versus who I could be when I had some benefits attached to my job. Um, you know, because it's, it's so hard. It's so damn hard. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think uh, this is so unfair, like an unfair answer, but I think context matters. I think when, Mm -hmm. when it's your supervisor (laughs) who is using this defense, maybe you can't say anything. Like maybe you just should be quiet (laughs) and hold on to your job Mm -hmm. and, you know, talk about it with a friend. I don't (laughs) know.
1: (laughs) Wow. Um, but that's that's so wise, though. That's know, a very wise. I mean,
0: answer. Because I wanted this book to really be rooted in the realities that we face. Black folks have a lot of hope, like ultimate hope. You know, um, mm-hmm. hope in what will be, hope in the future, hope in Jesus coming, hope in heaven, and 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 that's wonderful, and I do too. But I live right now in 2018. Come on. And so I come really on. want to, you know, I want to stay rooted in what black men and, and women and children and, you know, our, our, our teachers and our ministry leaders and our urban leaders mm. and, you know, and what we are really facing and the risks that come with speaking, with trying to tear down that defense and say, listen, I don't care if you are married to a black person. I don't care if you have a child who's black. Like, you just said some racist. <laughs> like, no, I don't mm. care who you're in a relationship with. Maybe you should rethink that relationship. <laughs> like I don't, you might, right. might want to do some internal investigations. That's um, it. But it's hard. And, and, and it's you, hard.
1: And you kind of touch on this idea of context. And what I find is that in churches in America, generally and broadly, but also specifically within churches, there's, there are these different camps that you can fall into. Mm-hmm. And so the camps tend to kind of take on a life of their own as it relates to speaking about race yeah. in that particular context. Yes. So you have people who just push racial reconciliation. Yeah. Then you have people who push kind of mutual responsibility. Mm-hmm. There's the people who say, no, justice is core to the gospel. And then there's activists. Mm-hmm. And then there's so many different things that there's so many different things that i'm leaving out as well right. groups and camps yep. that i'm yep. leaving out but you know what do you think about where you fall
0: yeah.
1: and and which camp you would be in is there do you do you even think about it like that is that something is that even how you process it because i think as this justice conversation is is you know resuscitated so to speak mm-hmm. it seems as though people are picking camps right uh, it, Do you see that? And how do you feel like you fall in the midst of that conversation?
0: I honestly, I try really hard um, to sit in the seat as a learner because I'm very clear um, about what my work in this looks like and what it doesn't look like. So Mm -hmm. I am not an organizer. And you don't want me to be right. <laughs> Same. <laughs> we'll
1: be uh, look, I'm right there Long with street.
0: you. We will not have the permit we were supposed to have. Like it will be all bad. You don't want me. I might be able to give a good speech.
1: Yeah, like, I'll talk. You know what I'm but, saying? But, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going. Yeah. <laughs> the permits ain't going to get filed, man. <laughs> I'm just sorry. It's not
0: going to happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and so, and and so, I learn a ton from organizers. Because their work is very different from mine. And I try really hard to get to the core of what people mean when they're coming up with those new terms. So mm. is 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 mutuality the same thing as um, um as equality, or is it the same mm. thing as seeking equity? Right? Is mm. when you say um, reconciliation, uh, do you mean having coffee with folks or do you mean seeking justice so that our relationship is healthy? Um, Mm. you know what I mean? So I try really hard to sort of dig into the language rather than being afraid of it and feeling like I need to choose a camp Mm. and say, Mm. um, I am a learner. I only own one small piece of of this. I am a writer. That's what I am. Every now and again, I get to lead a workshop or I get to, you know, do something else, um, preach or something like that. But ultimately I'm a writer. Um, And so I need to learn from all the other different areas where people are working for justice. Um, And so I don't necessarily see myself as like choosing a camp, Hmm. but I do try to learn from those who have chosen the camp. I want to understand why I want to understand how they're different I, because I learn so much. They the, All those those views have the potential to change my own worldview and the way mm-hmm. that I write and what I write about and how I understand um, the justice issues that we face. So I try, uh, this is why I love Twitter because it is a free yeah. education. <laughs> people, look, people
1: have been talking bad
0: about Twitter. Let's I don't say, understand.
1: I understand Twitter's got its dark does. side too but I love Twitter
0: I love it I wish Twitter gave out certificates because I swear I would have about <laughs> five of them <laughs> what I have learned. you would I trust me them. you would Oh so yeah so I find I find Twitter to be really helpful in unpacking that language and having articles that explain um, why certain terms have been chosen. Um, yeah, I think it's extraordinarily helpful. And it's the primary way, at least right now, that I participate in justice conversations. And I'm grateful for that.
1: As you think about, you know, your participation in the justice conversation, what is wrapped up in the Black dignity that you're talking about in the book is Black womanhood. And we recognize here at Pass the Mic, and it's something that, to our shame, we didn't recognize earlier but we recognize keenly that being Black is tough enough, but being a Black woman and a Black woman who speaks boldly about justice, it is very, not just difficult, but is also very dangerous as well. How have you protected your dignity, not just as Black, but also as a Black woman in the context of so much Misogyny and misogynoir that you see and experience constantly
0: um friendship that is an honest to goodness mm. truth friendship um i I could not have walked through the journey that I've walked alone, and if I was gonna add just one more chapter um to this book, it would be on sisterhood and black girl friendships um Wow. Um, I think it's I think it's the one thing that's that's missing from this book. Um, now that I'm you know, f- ten steps away from it, <laughs> and it's about to be released. Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, right. But having other Black women in my life as mentors, as friends, as sisters and play cousins, sisters in the church, um, elders hmm. who lay hands, women who preach, um, women who sing. You know, like all the different, um, yeah. all the different connections that black women make with each other, sitting in the beauty shop, you know, getting my hair yes. did, you know, um, that was vital with a capital V, hmm. <laughs> um, in the Come midst on. of working in some white ministries to be able to occupy a space that was defined by black womanhood, um, was necessary for my survival. Um, yeah. yeah, So I would, I would say a primary (laughs) primary are, are other black women are the reason that I've survived.
1: And in the book, you talk about this idea of Sankofa and how you said in a very well-written phrase, you said it collapsed the distance between your, your history and your now. and it kind of speaks to this whole idea as well of sisterhood, of brotherhood, that when we find more about each other, we can't help but be captured by how beautiful our story yes. is, even in the midst of such violent oppression, yes. such violent injustice. What was your experience of Sankofa like, and and how have you advised other people as they go on that journey, or how have you influenced them to, to just take Definitely. that leap of of figuring out what Sankofa looks like for them in their context. Yeah.
0: You know, speaking of, of that particular trip, even, I went on that trip three times. Um, wow. Yeah. Hmm. And, and I have friends who have been on it in like double digits. They're in like 15, 16, 17 land. Um, wow. Yes. Um, but I say that to say that all three trips were vastly different. The hmm. first one was... It just, it changed everything for me. And that's the one I document in the book. But there were others that were just not as, as impactful. (laughs) And so Hmm, I, I think what's, what's interesting is that I really do believe, oh, I, I really do believe that there can be this moment where Choosing to make yourself uncomfortable, particularly for white folks um, on a on a Sankofa journey, um, and the Holy Spirit can meet. Hmm. Yeah, and I and I think for black folks, I would like to see sort of these Sankofa moments or these um, um journeys, you know, that that we have been willing to take with white people to be affirmative of our dignity. Yes. so we yes. can talk about the struggle and the strength and you know um so it is not just man it's been hard out here for a long time <laughs> we just, yes yeah, I feel I like, we,
1: we don't have to sing the song 20 <laughs> you know, times I'm i mean sad. we can just sing it four or five i mean but 20 times <laughs> I'm I'm i mean sad. man
0: like i feel like Black folks should walk away from those kinds of experiences with their heads held high and not just feeling drained and overwhelmed. And, you know, and and I don't honestly, I don't even know what that looks like entirely. (laughs) That's the God honest truth. Um, But I think even in the writing of this book, I am. My eyes are open more and more to this question of whether or not the dignity of black folks is being honored. Hmm. as we pursue this question of justice because it so often wraps around white folks right it's around white supremacy it's around white guilt it's around white shame it's around white fragility it's around white tears you know and at some point you'd be like um so i think (laughs) we're a little off balance here those things need to be covered but what are we saying about blackness
1: and even how we have in the conversation it requires us to be put on the line yes. like our sanity to be put on yes. the line just to address that Ooh. issue and so we're not even getting to the strength part but we have to convince you that we've struggled enough for you to Lord care and then and then we're we're being beaten up for yes. that and it feels like a debate it feels like we're trying to prove yes. who we are to people and and i think you know it's really it's really encouraging and liberating to read the way that you write, because it 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 feels so free. It feels like, you know, what we're trying to achieve here on Pastor Mike is just as open and as free a voice for our Black Christian brothers and sisters and our Black brothers and sisters, um, expanding that out even um, as possible so that there's a sense of catharsis, there's yeah. healing, there's that opportunity for dignity. Yeah. But when I when I read the book, I was like, man, this actually feels like what it should be. This feels like where we're going. This feels like what we want to hit. How many, how long did it take you to perfect that? <laughs> the ability just to be free in your skin. You'll still explain. You'll still be gracious. Yeah. You'll still but do all of that, terms. but you want yeah. <laughs> yeah. On your terms. How long did it take you to, 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 Achieve that and perfect that voice.
0: You know, um, I was really, really changed by um, the Black Lives Matter movement.
1: Hmm. Yeah, talk about that.
0: You know, it's it's. I think like most black folks, it's not that I didn't know about injustice, right? It's not that I thought injustice had disappeared or that we were all equal, and you know, but but the the videos um, of black folks dying in the streets the response, right? Just to be able to say the phrase, Black Lives Matter. Um, (laughs) Wow. You know, like there was just something about (laughs) that moment that really did um, fundamentally change the way that I wrote. Um, Because I recognized, I think I finally put all the pieces together, right? I feel like there was this piece right. about my name and there was this piece about white ministries and there was this right like it was all these pieces and parts but i feel like black lives matter just like threw it all together for me and yes and hmm. it, it really did it fundamentally changed the way that i wrote and i'll tell you the 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 freedom that black women have because of social media Our ability to generate content that we are interested, our ability to share quotes about people that we admire, um, the ability to read about what other Black women are doing across the country to facilitate justice and healing, um, the ways that Black folks can now galvanize around TV shows and (laughs) you know, mm. and, and, and really prove in a way our worth. And by worth, I don't mean dignity in that sense. I mean, like dollars, <laughs> like and can prove that,
1: Yes, you know what absolutely. I mean? Prove our
0: creativity, prove our, you know, the things that we create will move, will move mountains, will move the world. Hello, Black Panther, Wakanda forever.
1: Yes. Come on. Come I, on. Wakanda forever. No.
0: Um, so I feel like the, the, both of those, and of course, Black Lives Matter is intertwined with social media, right? Um, Yes. Um but yeah, the the freedom that I witness in other black women, um, uh, both currently, black women who are doing amazing things all over this country, um, as well as historic. So for example, I I I think this was maybe in the Netflix documentary for Nina Simone. where it talked hmm. I think it talked about um her going before an audience and the audience was largely white. I think there were maybe two black folks in the audience. It was like a handful of black folks in the audience. And at some point that Mm -hmm. woman stopped that concert and said to the handful of black folks in the audience, this one is for you. I'm here for you. Hmm. And I thought, well, good Lord, can we do that? Can we go into all white spaces and mm. point to the two black folks in the audience and say i'm here for you i affirm you wow. this is for you i'm singing for you i'm here because you are in-. like that is so powerful and so i feel like that's hmm. yeah and and all the black women who have done that angela davis and um bell hooks and you know like just yes. so oh many women, so many womenists um, who have just fundamentally changed for me what is possible and how I get to show up and how I get to determine how I show up in the world. I mean, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> I'm still learning. Right. Um, but I'm trying. I'm trying to practice what it looks like to be a free Black woman.
1: You know, that's, that's really encouraging because it was similar for me in the sense that black lives matter was I think the first time that I really started to question if I had been ashamed deeply ashamed mm. of the way that God made me and I hear you and there were other points you know there's there's points when you're called the n-word when you're violently threatened yes you know all these things that yes. that black people we just we just brush it off we keep moving or we're traumatized right. by it but we still have to live and we still have to function that's right in this society, but Black Lives Matter in a strange way was far more dignifying than much of the theology yes. that I had learned. Yes. So I was trying to figure out, man, why is this so, why do, why do I feel so taken by this movement? And, right. And people couldn't understand that it wasn't about the hashtag. It wasn't about the organization. It wasn't about any of that, really. It was about yeah. the fact that we saw Black people, whether centralized or decentralized whether Absolutely. a community and a collective or not, that could, we could all say, whether virtually or in person, our lives yeah. matter. Like for real, Black lives matter. I mean,
0: that is a deeply theological statement. Yes. It didn't come out of the church, but it remains mm-hmm. nonetheless a deeply theological statement because white Christianity has taught from the Bible that Black lives do not matter. yes. Hmm. That black lives are cursed. That black lives are ham. That black lives were meant to be enslaved. Hmm. That black lives, right? Like all yes. the all the things, um, and that some folks, I presume, are still learning. <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely. Like, talk about that in the past tense, but I'm pretty sure there are churches that are still very much teaching that black lives and brown lives and. You know, all kinds of folks' lives um, do not matter. And so to have this three-word statement with all its theological implications, um, I I found quite transformative. Yeah,
1: And, and you know, what's funny about it is the church responded to Black Lives Matter the moment was galvanizing in the sense that it emboldened even Black Christians to address... the the blatant and covert racism that existed within not just their individual churches, but within the entire system of evangelicalism right. and within the American church. And so as you think about that, it's just sad to see that the church has not responded. The church did not respond with grace and right. by and large has not responded with an embrace, but more of uh, well, you know, yeah, the, obviously the statement's true. Not sitting in the statement, not recognizing the theology okay. of the statement. Well, yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, we all believe that. Well, no, not all of us do. Do you? Right. We don't. Because our actions show <laughs> sure. something completely different. <laughs> That's I mean, right. you know. That's
0: right. And, as, and white Christians have all kinds of um, foibles, shall we call them, mm-hmm. um, to protect themselves from that, right? Yes. So I think another one is um, we just need to love each other. Right? It. Love Trump's hate. <laughs> um, so, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like, what does oh, that mean, like, like, man? Like, what you talking about? Uh, and That's the question. What does that mean? If you agree with the statement, Black Lives Matter, then what does that mean? What does that mean for your life? What does that mean for your words? What does that mean for your family? What does that mean for your workplace? You know, what does that mean? And folks don't want to answer that question.
1: Wow. Well, you know, I kind of want to end our time and discussion, which has been so freeing and refreshing for me. And I know it will be for for many of our listeners as well. But it's it's really interesting to hear us talk about the church and to hear you and, and other people discuss how this has adjusted your theology, because I think whenever there's any sort of conflict as it relates to societal suffering and oppression and injustice, we naturally, and I think black people have done this historically look up to the heavens and say, God, do you see this? Mm -hmm. And Lord, are you going to do something about this? How has this journey of finding black dignity in a world made for whiteness affected your theology, affected your view of God. And yeah. were there any crisis moments? And if so, how are I don't want to assume you've gotten through them because I think sometimes we say that, you know, people have written mm-hmm. books so they've their struggles in the rear view and, you know, their past. Right. So Got it know. all
0: figured out. <laughs> yeah. It's You're just right. such a lie,
1: you know, it's so unhelpful. <laughs> but but how are you working through those crisis moments, you know, those theodicy moments? Yeah. Um in light of of everything that you're you're discovering and and that you're writing,
0: I think that the 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 biggest one that I am still uncovering um, is God's relationship to humanity and to our humanness. Mm-hmm. um I think um though I don't know if it was ever explicit, I do think I grew up under. Um, sort of a an unspoken understanding that God wanted me to be more spirit than human. Hmm. That something about humanity is is bad, and you know, sex not good. Um, right. Until you know, until <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, you can't watch these movies, you can't say these words, you can't be around those people. Um, you know, just a lot of a lot of rules for trying to keep our humanness. Um tamed hmm. and and I think I'm beginning to to wonder what it meant for God to be human, not just so that hmm. God could die and come back, but for God to have lived a human life of thirty plus years hmm. um right before ministry that God was just like hanging out, walking around, wow. You know, and so so what does that what does that mean? Maybe I don't have to be so afraid of pleasure, maybe I don't have to be so afraid of being free, maybe I don't have to be so afraid of um, of all the things, you know, we Christians are taught that we're not supposed to be into, like
1: hip
0: hop and yes rap. You know what I mean? Judging the way people dress and judging the way folks. Culture. I mean You know what I'm saying? Like maybe we don't have to be afraid Mm. of the things that we have created. Maybe it's okay to enjoy the things that we've created. Maybe that's part of how God created us. And maybe maybe God delights in that. Hmm. What if God delights in hip hop? Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, Yeah. So I think that's where where I'm at is 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 allowing allowing myself to wonder if God is enjoying black dignity um, and that I can enjoy it too in all of its facets in all of its facets hood and suburban and rich and poor. And you know, the diaspora, I haven't even begun. I mean, I have like barely scratched the surface of going beyond just African Americans in America. Isn't that crazy? Um, (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. It is. But like the diaspora, like, you know, yes. So that's what I would say that, um, that God, what does it mean for God to delight in blackness? Hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, the book is I'm still here. Black dignity in a world made for whiteness. And I think you're going to get a little bit of a book spike from PTM listeners because everyone who heard this knows that you have some phenomenal insights, Austin, and we're just really excited to support your work, support your ministry. And if people want to continue supporting outside of even just the book, is there any way, is there anything you want them to give to, uh, to to send you, to support? You know, what, what are some new projects that you want people to, to uh, attach themselves to outside of just the book?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think I'm going to try to um, maybe do like a little mini teeny tiny book tour um, awesome. after this releases. So I would love to meet folks. So you can just stay tuned um, to my website and Facebook and or Twitter. Um, and then I think I'm also, once the book releases, I'm going to do a discussion guide. Hmm. And I'm gonna put some videos together of me talking to other folks about the content of the book. Um, that I hope will like the 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 package will serve as a good way to to sort of dive into the book for those who want to do so as a group. Um, so yes, yeah, so I got some more stuff coming. So I would just say look out um, website, Facebook, and Twitter.
1: Well, I'm excited for that because that's when the discussion guy comes out or the videos come out. That's just an excuse for us to bring you back here on Past the Mind. <laughs>
0: Is, it would be so. Listen. Much fun. It's been too really good.
1: Gonna Jamar is going to be so jealous. I'm sorry Jamar, but this has just been too good.
0: You just have to bring me back Jamar. We do. We do. Austin, thank you so much for your
1: time, for your work. Thank you. We're so blessed and refreshed by it.
0: Oh, this was a fantastic conversation. Thanks for having me.